Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 28th of November 2021, 11 o'clock service. Ruth Henson speaking on how they looked forward to Jesus, the patriarchs. Well, as we've heard, this morning we're starting our new series of Advent sermons entitled, How They Looked Forward to Jesus. Advent is a time of waiting as we look forward not only to the celebration of Jesus's first coming at Christmas, but also to his second coming. Seeing how the Old Testament is full of pointers to God's promised Messiah will both help us gain fresh insights into the familiar Christmas story and also encourage us as we continue to wait for Jesus to come again. In this first sermon in the series, our focus is on the patriarchs, by whom we traditionally mean Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Today is also the day when churches light the first Advent candle on their Advent wreath, just as we did earlier. Different traditions and denominations apply varying symbolism to the four candles but two of the symbolic interpretations of the first candle are hope and, very appropriately, the patriarchs. And as we'll see, there's plenty of hope to be found in the way those Old Testament characters point towards Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised to see the links between the patriarchs and Jesus because it's where Matthew chooses to begin his retelling of the Christmas story. It might not make it into many school nativity plays, or any in fact, but Matthew chapter 1 sets the scene for the birth of Jesus with an account of his genealogy. He begins, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Why on earth would Matthew not cut straight to the action of the nativity story and instead set the tone for his gospel with a long list of names? Well, if we see Jesus' genealogy as just a list of names, we're missing the point entirely. Rather, It is a snapshot of God's salvation plan, wrought through the lives of ordinary people with extraordinary stories. We can have no thought that sending Jesus as our saviour was a backup plan or a plan B, because the lives represented by this genealogy are woven through with pointers to Jesus and foreshadowings of his life and ministry, his death and resurrection. We should just pause for a moment to notice the fact that Matthew breaks with tradition to include a number of key women in the genealogy he records. The term patriarchs is not especially helpful in reminding us of this important point. And while we will be focusing on the lives of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob this morning, we must be mindful of the important role of women in their section of the story of the Bible alongside those women who made it into Matthew's account of Jesus's family tree. And Jesus would certainly want us to celebrate the matriarchs too, given the status 
and prominence he afforded to women throughout his ministry. But back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They point so comprehensively to Jesus that I was left with something of a conundrum, with so much I could say this morning. So I've been strict and limited myself to four facets of God's character which the lives of the patriarchs highlight and then find even greater fulfilment in Jesus. We will see God as present promise keeper, covenant completer, sacrifice supplier, and merciful mobiliser. Firstly, present promise keeper. As I've already mentioned, Advent is a time of waiting. For the children in my year two class, waiting 24 hours for the next chocolate in the Advent calendar is going to be enough of a challenge, let alone the four weeks till Christmas. I wasn't much different as a child though, I have to admit. The tradition in my family was that on Christmas Day, only stocking presents could be opened first thing in the morning, and the presents under the tree were saved not only until after lunch, but also until after the Queen's speech. I think I was well into my teenage years before I realised the Queen's broadcast was only ten minutes long. Up till then, I could have sworn it was closer to an hour. But we're not very good at waiting in general, are we? And that's only exacerbated by our quick-fix, instantaneous 21st-century society. We want to apply the Amazon Prime same-day delivery option to anything in our lives that needs resolving or sorting. You might think that living through lockdowns and isolations would have taught us greater patience and a different perspective, but I think it's rather too deeply ingrained. But waiting is a big theme in the lives of the patriarchs. There is the overarching wait for the fulfilment of God's covenant, which we will look at next. But there are also lengthy periods of personal waiting too. For Abraham and Sarah, their personal wait was for a child. The Bible doesn't give us details about their younger years, but one can only imagine that they had longed for the blessing of a baby long before that became inextricably linked with God's covenant. God promised that Abraham would be the father of a great nation and have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But by the time Abraham is 99 years old, there is no sign of Sarah having the baby that will kickstart this. In fact, when three visitors reiterate the promise, saying Sarah will have a son in the next year, she can't help but laugh at the notion. But God does indeed keep his promise, which Paul reflects on like this in Romans chapter 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power 
to do what he had promised. For their long-awaited son, Isaac, the wait for a child with his wife, Rebecca, is short by comparison, but the 20 years they endured were no doubt difficult and painful. And we read in Genesis 25 that Isaac cries out to God on behalf of his wife because they are childless. And eventually they are blessed with twin sons, Jacob and Esau, although it's evident straight away that it's not going to be a case of happy families. For Jacob, the periods of waiting he faces are down to family politics and feuding. Thanks to his uncle Laban's trickery, he has to wait 14 years to marry his beloved Rachel, being forced to marry her sister Leah in the meantime. And the long wait for Rachel to bear Joseph and Benjamin is punctuated with bitter rivalry and one-upmanship. And then, later in life, thanks to the cruel actions of the other 11 sons, he has to wait years, believing that his favourite son, Joseph, is dead, before eventually discovering his meteoric rise to become Egypt's second in command. But the recurring theme throughout all of these long and painful periods of waiting is that God remains faithful in keeping his promises and is present and active in the meanwhile. And this despite the failings and poor choices of those who are waiting, which we will consider later. He is at work to bring about his good purposes when circumstances and even the actions of the promise bearers are working against him. If we were able to ask those patriarchs whether they knew God's presence with them all through their waiting, I'm fairly confident that the answer would be no. But with the benefit of hindsight, as they look back and see how God smoothed the way, redeemed situations and heard their cries, I'm sure they would pay testimony to his continuous intervention. But the, waitings, the waiting the patriarchs knew was nothing compared to the wait that was to come as about 2,000 years passed by between the time of Abraham and the birth of Jesus. And this waiting would also be a time when God's people would wander from him and doubt his providence, but also experience his faithfulness and be frequently reminded of the promise awaiting fulfilment. Despite their repeated failings, God does not turn his back on his people and keeps his promise at great cost to himself. Isaac is sometimes referred to as the child of the promise. And the same can be said in trumps about Jesus too. Isaac was born of a miracle and exactly the same is true of Jesus as well. God was at work in the period of waiting for Isaac and continued to be at work in the waiting for the Messiah even when his people might have felt isolated or distant from him. And now, another 2,000 years or so has passed, and the waiting continues as we look to God to keep his promise once again when Jesus returns. Along with Isaac and along with Jesus, we are children of the promise, and we are miraculously born again into new and eternal life. 
and we too can trust that God will be faithful in keeping his promise and that he is active and present with us in the meantime, even if he seems far away or we have wandered from his paths. And if we, like the patriarchs, are going through personal periods of waiting, let us also look to their stories and recognise God as the present promise keeper who is with us always and will be faithful forever. God's timing might not fit our Amazon Prime same-day delivery expectations, but it is perfect in bringing about his wonderful purposes and giving him the glory. But I said that personal waiting endured by the eight patriarchs is inextricably linked with the overarching promise of God's covenant with Abraham. So let's move on to recognise God as covenant completer. We read God's covenant with Abraham first in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This covenant between God and Abraham can be summarised as promising three things, land, seed and blessing. The land God promised to Abraham, the promised land, would be where God would dwell with Abraham and his offspring forever. God always wanted to live with his people, so when Adam and Eve were forced to leave the Garden of Eden after the fall, God made restoring his people to the land of promise a key aspect of the covenant. The seed God promised to Abraham would be the means to him becoming the father of a great nation. There are echoes of the previous promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 verse 15, where they hear from God that their offspring's head will be crushed by the serpent, but he in turn will strike the serpent's heel. In the same way, Abraham's seed will bring hope and healing to the nations. God also promised Abraham that he would be blessed in order to be a blessing, that through Abraham, all nations on earth would be blessed. Abraham and his descendants saw these promises fulfilled to a certain extent, but in Galatians 3 verse 29, Paul points us to a greater fulfilment. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's look at those three elements of the covenant with Abraham once more and see the connections with Jesus. In terms of land, Hebrews 11 verse 10 says about Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham realised that the promised land was not just a physical reality, but a spiritual one too. He spent his earthly life living in tents because he understood that the ultimate promised land is the eternal city built by God, where God will dwell with us forever. 
we may still be waiting for this promise of a new heaven and a new earth to be fulfilled, where God's dwelling place will be with his people. But in the meantime, we have Jesus as our dwelling place. We are rooted and built up in him, and he in turn dwells in our hearts. Christmas is about celebrating our true inheritance, Christ himself. In terms of seed, it is indeed Jesus who is the ultimate seed of promise, miraculously born to fulfil every promise God ever made to humankind. In Galatians 3 verse 16, Paul writes, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Paul recognises Jesus as the fulfilment of the promise, the seed who would make every promise of God come true. God promised Abraham a great nation, and while this was initially fulfilled in the nation of Israel, it is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, the founder of a holy nation unto God, where there is no longer Jew or Gentile, because all are welcome. As the song reminds us, Father Abraham has many sons and daughters, many sons has Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Christmas is about celebrating the big family of God, the new nation of God's spiritual children. In terms of blessing, God had told Abraham that through him, every nation on earth would be blessed. Yet again, this promise is fulfilled in Jesus, who is the ultimate and eternal blessing. We will consider his costly sacrifice next, but we are blessed by his life as well as his death. In his life on earth, he gave us the perfect example to follow. And by his indwelling life in us now, he is at work to make us more like him. Christmas is not just about the physical blessings of family and gifts. These things are shadows of the true and ultimate blessing, Jesus himself. And just like Abraham, we are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. So why don't we use Advent to look for opportunities to fulfil that calling? I just mentioned that we would next think about Jesus' costly death. So let's now consider God as sacrifice supplier. The story of the near sacrifice of Isaac, which we heard in our reading from Genesis 22, is perhaps one of the most famous events from the life of Abraham and the parallels with Jesus are very striking. Abraham is called on by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, the long-awaited child of the promise. 2,000 years later, God's son Jesus, the ultimate long-awaited child of the promise, takes on the calling to sacrifice himself in our place. God's description of Isaac to Abraham in verse 2 of our reading, where he says, Your son, your only son, whom you love, carries such overwhelming echoes of the relationship between God the Father and his son Jesus. 
when we read that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on Isaac to carry it up Mount Moriah to the place of sacrifice. Surely we can't fail to see the comparison with Jesus being forced to carry his wooden cross up the Mount of Crucifixion. When we hear the heartbreaking moment when Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Not realizing he is the intended sacrifice in question. Are we mindful of Jesus in Gethsemane, only too aware that he is the one to be sacrificed, but crying out to his father in case there is any way in which the cup can be removed from him? Abraham answers Isaac with confidence that God himself will provide the lamb. And he is doubly correct. Just at the moment that he has the knife raised to do the unthinkable and slay his own son, God's voice calls out to stop him. And Abraham looks up to see a ram caught in a thicket, which he then sacrifices in Isaac's place. But obviously, God ultimately provides the most precious and costly sacrificial lamb in the crucifixion of his own beloved son Jesus in our place. Reading the story of Abraham's call to sacrifice Isaac can make us feel rather uncomfortable to think of God choosing to test Abraham in such an unthinkably difficult way. But surely, the point is for us to understand just how costly and unthinkable it was for God to offer up Jesus in our place and without a last-minute reprieve. Isaac is the son who was spared, but Jesus is the son who spared nothing in order to secure our salvation. And then finally, let's recognise God as merciful mobiliser. Do you watch the programme, Who Do You Think You Are? I really enjoy it, but there is something rather formulaic in most episodes, isn't there? Chances are that if the celebrity starts off by saying, I know I come from generations of Londoners, that they'll probably discover they originate from Newcastle or Ireland or somewhere. Or if they say that family tradition states that there was an exciting royal connection, that most likely is completely fictitious. You watch as they are made to become enthralled by a heroic or romantic story about one of their ancestors, only to learn about their tragic demise with tears inevitably following. But one thing you can definitely guarantee is that they will always uncover a black sheep of the family, about whom a police record or court report is produced. Well, if Jesus was to appear on Who Do You Think You Are, with his genealogy, there would be plenty of skeletons in the closet to uncover. Even these patriarchs we are focusing on today, such key Old Testament characters, were flawed sinners who made plenty of wrong choices. Abraham lied that Sarah was his sister out of fear, and his wavering faith led him to take matters into his own hands so that he had a child with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, who is then subsequently treated appallingly. Isaac goes on to repeat his father's failings, also lying that Rebekah is his sister, 
and additionally plays favourites among his twin sons, which leads to all sorts of problems. Jacob, in turn, steals his brother's birthright, and he then also follows in his father's footsteps by blatantly having a favourite son, which leads to jealousy and violence. But the point is that God still chooses to use these flawed sinners with all their weaknesses and inadequacies to be part of his salvation plan. They are still chosen as his promise bearers. They are still the founding fathers of Jesus's family tree. And not only that, but God also intervenes to redeem their repeated failures. For example, causing Pharaoh to allow Abraham and Sarah to leave Egypt with their amassed property when he discovers their duplicitous lie, rather than putting them in prison or having them killed. And when Jacob's son Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, God is able to turn the brothers' evil purposes to good as a means for the family line to survive the famine, thanks to Joseph's intervention. What amazing news for us too, that God is a merciful mobiliser, who not only forgives and redeems, but also has a vital role for each one of us to play in building his kingdom, in spite of all our flaws and failings. So, as we open the first windows in our Advent calendars this week, and try not to panic at the diminishing number of shopping days until Christmas, let's take time to look forward to both Christmas and Jesus' second coming with the patriarchs, as they remind us that God is present promise keeper, covenant completer, sacrifice supplier, and merciful mobiliser. Amen.